Greetings, fellow travelers in the void. I am Nick Muniz. This is Nick's Nonfiction. Today on the show, we have got Kevin Lucia's Liminal Spaces. The entire month of March has always felt to me like a liminal space, a nondescript period of time mostly used for transition. Sorry to all the St. Patty's heads out there. Any March birthdays? Let's get artsy with it. What does T.S. Eliot call a liminal space? Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow. Or as Dave Matthews says it, the space between. And my homie Rod Sterling has the best quote on liminality ever. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Let's get liminal, liminal. Kevin talks about all the kinds of people in transition. One lady's moving to China, one lady's being hunted by a murderer in her house. And some of the stories I don't even want to spoil. I pick the best ones. And of course, this is Nick's Nonfiction. We're going to take the ideology up to modernity. Talk about the back rooms and all this cultural liminality going around. I think kids live in a state of liminality. They're waiting to see who's going to transition first. <laughs> Enough Nick comedy. Thank you guys for being here. Seriously, today we're adding to the lore of the internet. Last year we did the Sigma Bail book. Sigma Bale, Christian Bale. <laughs> Today we get in liminal, baby. We will be right back after a couple more <laughs> transitions. About the author Kevin Lucia. This man does not have a Wikipedia page, but he is on Bloodspot. It was like a horror literature website. He does Monday morning movie reviews and free fiction Fridays. I found his Facebook page. There's another about him online. He's got this weird fantastical life living all around the globe. I think my wife has weird fantasies. Sometimes fantasies of being loyal. <laughs> I'm having sexual fantasies about sleeping with my boss. The only problem is that I'm self-employed. <laughs> there we found it. Harry shit on Instagram, patreon.com slash the niche. We better get paranormal after some memes. Chapter 1, Liminal Spaces. Her haunted house. Her first haunted house isn't a house at all. It's no more than a field, a grassy little spot near a Los Angeles housing development, the street shiny and new and filled with promise. Her name, Gwendolyn Christie. It's a Wednesday morning, a sunny morning, as bright as the smile she used to give her friends and used to give anybody who would give her a chance. That's all she ever wanted, a real chance in the world. That's the one thing she never got. A young mother with a baby carriage for an early stroll discovers her when she stumbles upon the crime scene. So Grendelin Christie, she's an actress in L.A. that never made it, and today she stumbled across a body. The body is that of a local performer, Black Dahlia. Chris Dahlia? David says, do we get to know more about celebrities when they're dead or alive, man? Fame, it's kind of liminal. Miss Gwendolyn just stumbled upon something that's probably going to make her equally as popular as the body that she found. 
You know, people would ask you at work, you found Lady Gaga's dead body? Were there track marks on the arm? Does she actually have a penis? Ever seen those videos? <laughs> Her and Mike Obama need to have a sausage measuring contest. The body is that of Chris D'Elia. As they take away the body, Gwendolyn doesn't go with them. She's still back at the crime scene. An invisible face in the crowd. It's like a car accident. That's kind of liminal, too. It's ve something very temporary about it. The firemen come and sweep away the bodies real quick. And then they go back to the firehouse, eat spaghetti, and take a group shower together. Nothing gay about that. <laughs> Quote, the fading afternoon air shimmers suddenly, and something pulls at her, like fish hooks in her skin, dragging her off through the ether. That's because there are other places where she's expected now. So I'm saying she's got a lot of people to gossip to after you see a dead body. You know, you got to get back to work. Your mom died? Too bad. <laughs> the story goes on. Gwen is this rich lady in Hollywood. She's seen, seen many stars come and die, and she never got to taste the success. Quote, Her second haunted house is all stone and shadow, tucked away near the Santa Monica Mountains. They say the property was designed by the son of Frank Lloyd Wright, but Gwen doesn't know for sure. Gwen's telling this story of this house getting broken into. She's hiding in her house, and it felt like uh, being part of Black Dahlia's transition. Quote, As I cowered beneath the stairs, the air stunk of black mold and melancholy. I thought, how it isn't fair. There should be no walls, no roof, no doorways to hold me in. I had become a ghost. There should be some freedom in that, but it belongs to the world now. The world loves a mystery. Well, it's a little too artsy, but it's a bitch astral projecting in a closet. Hey, that's something we could talk about. Hide and seek was the most liminal game ever. Ready or not, here I come. Those are the scariest words on earth. <laughs> the, all of the piss rushes to your bladder. Hiding in a game of hide and seek, you know you're going to be found. It's temporary. Like, this is supposed to be Gwen hiding from a murderer in her house. What is that thing I read about recently? The Oz factor when everything goes silent. You usually hear it in the woods, but people experience it in new apartments. So imagine being hunted in your own house. Quote, One thing for sure, she got famous all right, just not in the way she ever wanted to. Black Dahlia was one of the only girls to be murdered in Hollywood. Oh honey, those come a dime a dozen. But she's the one the headlines hold on to. The cold case that never gets quite forgotten. The Black Dahlia's remembered. She's worth remembering. Settled back in the gloom of eternity... Gwendolyn wonders if she'll be remembered in a, as a blessing or a curse. Okay, so, you know, this is all fucking girls think about. This is why this chapter's not getting me at all. Girls literally want to be murdered. The more you talk to them, they're too lazy to put the work into anything. They think they'll be remembered if they just get killed. Another one. You want me to go harder? <laughs> like, are you positive that it's better to be someone than it is to be no one? How come... Everybody with power, true power, tries to remain unseen. True gangsters move in silence, says young Wheezy. Like, are you positive that it's better to have your ass cheeks on the internet for a few digital thumbs up than it is to have anonymity? What the fuck are these hoes doing? <laughs> we'll end it with Glendolyn's words instead of mine. The night fading away, I reach the city limits, and with a final breath, I take the last step. Hollywood finally disappearing behind me. 
all the empty dreams I ever had disappearing with it. She didn't get killed in the house. She didn't accomplish her dreams. She just walk outside and get killed by the serial killer. She couldn't even commit to that. Quote, At last, the sun cracks through the California sky, and as the breeze whispers in my long, dark hair, I look back once and smile. A real smile. My own smile. My body. Okay. L.A. is the most liminal place on Earth. Nobody is in their right mind. They all think they're about to be a movie star. <laughs> I see it's coming from a guy who's... I'm not, I don't give a fuck about fame. I'm trying to share cool stories. Ending that one. Her Haunted House. It's about her pussy. <laughs> Chapter 2. Mirror, Mirror. This one might be my favorite. Mirrors have always given me the willies. I've had dreams about walking through mirrors or getting stuck halfway. I'm telling you, one day I'm going to catch the man in the mirror lacking. This one is a little more on the fictitious side. Quote, Oral Ickerson contained his grief and outrage over the death of his wife, wadding it up like the cloth contained in his pocket and tucking it away. Then asked, Are you ready, record symbol? He ground his teeth and nodded. They faced the mirror before them. Oral raised one hand, palm flat near the surface, but not touching it. As the quartz mirror right, he could feel the power of the magically imbued silvering on the far side of the glass. We're in it. He bowed his head, muttered an incantation, then reached forward. His hands passed through the glass to the other side where the glass intersected the flesh and bone of his wrists beneath the sleeve. It felt as if jagged shards were slicing into his skin, but he could wiggle his fingers. He felt the air on the other side of the pane, colder than here in the bathroom. What? His homie is about to go into Mirror World. Orel and Rickard, it's two guys... For the space of a breath, no more that sensation of jagged glass permeated Orel's entire body. He caught a glimpse of refracted gray, tasted blood, and ash and limestone. Bro, if you've ever done salvia, you're definitely having flashbacks. Like It feels like you're being pushed through a membrane. Like It feels like you're mozzarella going through a cheese grater. Maybe that's just the Jersey salvia we did. <laughs> My buddy had this underwater trip, and that's one of the classic ones. I had this trip because I was obsessed with Tony Hawk at the time. I was, like, skating around my high school, you know, doing spine transfers. Project 8. <laughs> my point here, it feels like you're going through a fucking mirror, bro. It's I was a pixelated Tony Hawk character. <laughs> Maybe not exactly like the magic here, but in terms of liminality, when you undergo a greater experience, there's almost a form of induction to cross from one side to another i'm sounding crazy so let me fucking double down the other morning i woke up at 3 a.m i feel like i'm being attacked you know my body's like go outside get fresh air why would i do that <laughs> go to the bar do something right now I, I think i need sleep so i look at my phone my battery's on 23%. And what do I do when I'm getting attacked? I read Psalm 23. I know I'm a fucking weirdo, people. But that's the one. If you l listen to people who work in, like, psych wards and shit. <laughs> yeah, we're going off the rails today. I'll touch back on this point. But when you're, like, transitioning from sleep to awake, 3 o'clock, the witching hour. I don't know, I'm just saying keep your guard up. Quote, It was a close room. Orel is inside the mirror, 
walled in stone, the center filled with a massive elongated black oak table. He basically walked into a negotiation room. Behind them, a mirror stood, the doorway back into Ricard's room. Across the length of the table, adorned with parchment, a quill ink, sand, candle, a wax at either end, sat another chair, and behind it, another mirror. Don't tell me these homies are about to go into double mirror world. That was my favorite in Mario Kart, the mirror cup. What does an avocado say in the mirror? You're fat, but you're a good fat. <laughs> there we go. Quote, the mirror on the far side of the room shimmered and two figures emerged. The man on the left, Tyrol, was clothed in crimson and gold regalia, a gold-embroidered oak leaf heavy on his chest, a brand on gold fingers along his neck. So there's like mirror people in mirror world. <laughs> he moved around front, steepled his fingers on the table on either side of the stack of parchment and said, let's talk. I assume you've come to apologize for the blatant attacks your military did on the island of our border. Rickard slams his palm against the table. What are you talking about? It's you who should apologize. I'm in fucking mirror realm. Then, a fifth figure emerged from one of the mirrors midway down the table to the left. Their hands were hidden inside the sleeves of their gray robes. The hood pulled down the shield face. When they spoke, their voice was genderless. Could be some reptilian action. That's not my thing, but... Quote, Ricard Seibel, you have requested arbitration of the forum. Tyrol, <laughs> you have accepted. So he's like being dragged into some no negotiation. It's like when fucking Bank of America calls you. You agreed to this. This chamber has been provided to you, along with food and wine, for as long as it takes to you reach a mutual agreement on the Seven Isles. So, I mean, the story just devolves into this fictitious debate over who advanced on whose land. Oral is going, I don't know, you people. <laughs> but at the same time, when he's arguing, it's like the words are coming from deeper within himself. So this is what I'm saying, bro. When you go into the Salvia world, am I actually a pro skateboarder? Is my friend a merman? <laughs> I don't really think these things, but that movie uh, Moon Knight got kind of big. They're doing a second season. That guy goes into a different world when he sleeps. It's a good portrayal. I'm not fucking hearing voices, people. We'll go back to the schizo stuff next chapter. <laughs> Let's finish this story. There's this huge YouTube uh, channel called Dust. They do sci-fi stories. I'm obsessed with anthologies, people. The specific video I'm thinking about, it was called Final Offer. And so this lawyer goes into this room. He's disputing with aliens. I'm not trying to ruin the ending. Like, legal definitions are some of the most liminal things on Earth. mRNA therapy! <laughs> I hope the censors didn't pick that up. But, like, the very words we use are liminal. Quote, Not all mirrors are traveling portals. Some are portals to the soul. So, let me ground it a little bit. Like, a mirror can just be something for an unaware person to look into and raise their consciousness. And that sounds so fucking gay and douchey. But once you trip balls and look in the mirror, <laughs> it's not the same, bro. You're kind of like the Geico lizard, and you look in the mirror, and then you see an HD iguana. You're like, what the fuck? And maybe it's the mirror fucking with you, man. <laughs> so let me throw it totally off the rails. There's motherfuckers that think that mirrors were, like, 
magic carpets, bro, and you could walk through it and set your intention to one place. A fucking portal. Yeah, bro. (laughs) Maybe it's all symbolic, probably. It's literally a portal for you to step into a better version of yourself. Oh, you have body images. No, you're an avocado telling yourself you're a healthy fat. (laughs) Chapter 3, Rotten to the Core. This one's about the nightlife. If you ever work the night shift, you've seen the change. It's uh, what Instagram hosts call golden hour. It used to be called the witching hour from sunset to dusk. It's this time of transition. People used to say it's when the demons would cross into our world. <laughs> or like, it's when Mercury goes into retrograde and the collective subconscious takes over. <laughs> We're all saying the same shit. The demons are out. Dude, one of the craziest things I've seen on TikTok recently is Mercury experiments. And I just said Mercury, so it's triggering this in my brain. Did you know Mercury doesn't have a reflection in mirrors? Mercury? So this is where all the lore from vampires come from. They drink blood, which has a mercury content, and then they can't show up in mirrors. Fucking Albert Einstein, please explain this. Doesn't this chemical have light, and shouldn't the light be reflected? Bro, I'm starting to think mirrors are not exactly what they are. (laughs) TikTok is wildin', bro. This story starts with, like, a scene out of L.A. Noir. Pretty badass. I sit in the back of my bar, watching the lights flicker as shadowy figures dance and frolic. All of it lost on me. My macoon a comforting warmth and denial the history of my life shoved into the corners of my mind. The booth that I'm in is faded leather, torn in places, duct tape holding the puffy innards where they belong. My own gut spilled onto the table. I swirled the amber liquid in a cut glass with heavy weight, sipping on the anesthesia with a singular purpose. Escape. These shimmering moons in distant places orbit my table, interacting baskets in the glow of youth and innocence. Unable to see my cracks, the ways my framework is held together with string and wood and plaster. It's a shoddy job, and I don't expect it to last much longer. Dude, I'm scared. (laughs) He's, uh doing my job and he's like a 40 year old fat guy you could picture the booth he's sitting in everybody's been at one of these dive bars that has like a kitschy name the stumble in the hideout the laundromat something to help you laugh as you slowly drink yourself to death quote every now and then a young man will stumble my way attracted to the moth in the corner something about my dark presence appealing to her sense of adventure The smart ones will come closer, and then take a step back, unsettled by something they see. The glint in my eye, perhaps. The wave of negative energy that surrounds me. Maybe or just the general sense of suffering and emptiness in my manner of dress. (laughs) The last time one went home with me, she got up after we were done with our exertions, casting a wary eye my way. She picked up her cloths off the floor and started to get dressed. I have to go, she said. There's something in here with us, and I don't like it. I would have argued with her if she was wrong. You should get some help before it eats you alive, before it finishes the job. This chick, she's seeing the demons that are taking over this guy. (laughs) Bro, I swear I've met some succubi at the club before. This dude is getting ganked by ghosts at night. Quote, In the bar I sit and watch, preferring to stay as far away from the customers as I can. And yet, 
I hate to be alone. Oh, make up your fucking mind. Quote, it's a slow night. Wednesday, I think, when the tall, thin man slides into the booth across from me, dressed as if he had an important message with a board of directors or perhaps a body to bury. For a moment, I wonder if he's even here, his presence too quiet and still. And then his eyes turn to me, two deep pools of obsidian, and it's my turn to shiver. His pale skin is almost translucent, blue veins running up his neck and down the back of his hands. The suit is dark, some shade of black that holds a slight glimmer to it. His dress slightly brightly white but no tie it starts to pick up the stranger speaks i've almost noted that every now and then one of the inebriated young ladies will approach you curious as to what presence is giving off such dark vibes from the death of this seedy bar no offense intended i don't kill them if that's what you're asking (laughs) he grins at me a mouthful of teeth that is too far wide full of my taste the hat man quote Oh, but you, he continued, and that's why I'm here. I can tell you're suffering, and that you have been for some time. I think I can help you. He has a business proposition. He asks him to come to his office. And, uh, yeah, this guy starts to continue to decline into madness. We're going to pick up at the meeting. The address is a nondescript script mall between a tobacco shop and a questionable massage parlor. I made a quick stop there. <laughs> I added that. <laughs> I nod my head. Yeah, you reek of it. Have a seat. Don't need your name, in fact. Please don't tell it to me. The less I know of you, the better. Go sit all the way over there in the corner, and I'll tell Jerry you're here. He's in a waiting room now. Literally the most liminal place in hyperspace. Before you blast off, you get put in the waiting room. Quote, To the left of me is a bedraggled man who is either the second coming of Christ or homeless. There is a wave of heat coming off of him like an oven, and the stench that floats to me is a combination of sour milk, rotting meat, and fermented apples. This is uh, Jordan Peterson's The Stench of the Unemployables. Or maybe Jesus smelt that bad. Think about it. You fucking sit in a windowless room and then get ushered into another windowless room where you sit on a giant roll of butcher's paper. Waiting rooms? This should be its own chapter. Bro, David Lynch, that's like he did Eraserhead Twins Peak. (laughs) He knows, bro. Especially in the Twilight Zone episodes, they have the Masonic colors on the waiting room floors. Uh, No exit, Sarte. It's so liminal, man. Let's continue with the story. Richard finally gets called into the office by a gentleman named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Why am I here, Jeremiah? What is it you do here? He leans back in the black leather desk chair and steeples his fingers. I am a purveyor of goods. I am a healer. I am a priest. I see in others that which they cannot see. I see in others those toxins that continue to destroy. When I do my job right, when the moons and planets align, I can create a chemical reaction, an algorithm, a formula that takes one essence from over here and moves it over there. You, my friend, are toxic. You have been anointed with a darkness that has seeped into your bones, quite literally, and it poisons everyone and everything around you. (laughs) I have a proposal, he says. I would like to extract your bone marrow. It is a painful process, not when we extract it, but when the anesthesia wears off. But that's part of why I'm doing this. Your marrow, if I'm correct, and I usually am, can help others. It can tamp down memories, bad memories. It can help to numb individuals to the pain they carry with them and allow the mind, body, and soul to heal. 
what would you do? Like, if this was the only way you could help, would you donate your bone marrow? I don't know if you guys remember, if you're deep listeners, but that was one of my earliest bits. How come in college, around every corner, there was a motherfucker trying to take my bone marrow? (laughs) How does this story end? The procedure worked. They exacted my marrow and used it as a catalyst for some compound, which can be turned into a treatment for those that suffer like myself. I have forgotten that which I needed to forget, and in donating my rotten core to science, I am able to heal others. Fuck. I'm just thinking of comedy right now. That's the sad guy at the bar sharing his tragedy so that other people can laugh at him. (laughs) But really, is there something ethereal about the darkness inside you like this story like I'm trying to say with this fucking I've watched so many interviews of people who worked at skits wards and uh, let me just tell you how psychology thinks of it it's a chemical imbalance in the brain okay what chemical what's the proper ratio that we need to get back to balance the more you fucking look into it bro (laughs) read some more Freud Psychology doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. And so I sound less crazy. I'll take it back into the literary world. Stephen King always talks about strong evil overcoming weak good. If you have a bad side within you, it's you're done. As long as that side is stronger than the good side, you're fucking finished. That's why I'm here every Tuesday morning. I'm The fucking good is worth fighting for. Hit the deck and give me 20 push-ups. Like, we can't feel bad for the lonely guy at the bar. We can't feel bad for people that choose to neglect their good. It's not an excuse. The evil is stronger than the good. It's a fact. You gotta bear your motherfucking cross out here. I'm not saying in the Judeo-Christian-Roman sense, whatever. Literally do the hardest thing you can think of every single day, and that's the only way the earth gets better. (laughs) Strong evil... Versus weak good. There's this story I read about a Utah military base. They were making this new mustard gas. And a farm of sheep died the day that they tried to deploy it. Had the wind been blowing west that day, Salt Lake City would have gotten hit with military-grade mustard gas. Strong, evil, complacent good. Let's go to chapter 4. Cabinet people. (laughs) Norman is talking to his friend Mira. Mira, papi. I nearly got arrested yesterday. I had trouble explaining myself to the police, so be patient. It might not make sense to you either at first. You know the layout of my building with the U or horseshoe-shaped floors, identical doors lining both sides of each long hallway? Though it's not exactly a maze, you're not the only one who got lost the first time you visited. Part of the problem is that our building's management doesn't let us decorate our doors, and there's no signage telling you the way to turn or the range of numbers. We've got a classic backroom situation here, boys. Hotel hallways, post-smash apartment buildings. You wake up and you might as well be in another fucking galaxy. The repeating carpet patterns, the empty elevators. (laughs) I feel like after you smash a chick, you could just wake up at any night in your life. (laughs) The butterfly effect. Here's a taste of Norman's tendencies. He's going out for a stroll. As I walked, I'd been worried I might run into somebody or something along the way. I'd have fallen to flatten myself against the wall to keep distance while they passed. They wonder about the wall itself. 
if anybody else has touched it. Had I touched the wall to catch my balance and the idea made me grab sanitizer. You can see he's a neurotic guy. Quote, my recliner was at the wrong place, angled too far from the television. I grabbed it and laid down, pushed it back to where it belonged. The chair's legs scraped against the hardwood floor as I nudged the coffee table aside to make room and an empty glass fell off the table and rolled under the flap of fabric along the bottom of the couch. The glass didn't break, but it was doing that slow back-and-forth dance, a rhythmic pendulum. Norman goes paranoid. He's going, somebody moved my chair. There's a lady at the liquor store like this, bro. I told her to take a time lapse of her apartment. I told her to fucking set booby traps. <laughs> She's like, no, I have cats. I can't do that. Um, this is the fucking most interesting point. Of that Maybe this lady is seeing something. Like, I don't believe the medical definitions at this point. My guess is equally as good as yours, bro. I'm selling you spirits in a bottle every single night, bitch. You're possessed. <laughs> Is Norman telling all of this to Mira? I mean, trust me, it only gets you laid with witchy chicks. His delusions are starting to get the best of him. He's believing. Not enough sense, though. I stood up, looked around the apartment with the same floor plan as my own, but every detail different. A two-tone paint scheme, a larger television bottled to the wall, a hexagonal shelf with potted plants at each compartment, and that puzzling sofa substitution. And part of me still wondered how burglars could have worked so quickly, how they would have replaced my furniture rather than simply stealing it. So he's thinking someone staged a robbery. This is why apartments are so liminal, bro. It's the exact same room over and over and nobody's there permanently. Like, all I do is move apartments, people. <laughs> Before I move, I take a video, like a walkthrough. And it feels like the setting in that video is thin, like, it's going to fucking collapse on me. As soon as you're moving places, it's like the processing power has to go to the future. You could take that into simulation or you could take that into the mind. We're going to move along with the story. Quote, Go ahead and laugh, Mira, because I was laughing too. I can hear you whispering, I said to the closed bedroom door. You can come out now. Come out here so I can shoot you, Norman says. <laughs> and they did. Slowly. They appeared in the gap at first, acted like he needed to squeeze his way through. I waved my hand, encouraging to move a little faster. My hand, not my gun. Other one too, I waved my hand again, indicating the woman, and she followed into the living room, staying close behind him. An uncomfortable silence lasted a minute, or ten. Hard to tell which. It's my apartment. No, it's our apartment. No, it's mine. God, Mira, don't start laughing again. This is the part where you're supposed to feel sorry for me, okay? I thought if I spoke like an egghead, they'd give me a little more respect. But I'll admit, I came off like a fool. I might even have said, principle of parsimony. <laughs> I got all theatrical, said something about wormholes and altered perception. No, really, I do live here. I sounded like someone repeating a debunked illusion. But by here, I meant the building, rather than this specific apartment I now stood in. At the end of the story, Norman accidentally walked into Kramer's apartment. You ever seen those memes where the architects prove that Jerry Seinfeld's apartment is structurally impossible? <laughs> that shit makes me laugh. The bigger reveal here 
it's not that he was in the wrong apartment. It's that the people were tiny. And so he's like, Mira, you're not going to believe me. You're not going to believe me. And then a couple of weeks go by and he's like, the people were fucking miniatures. So he ran out of the apartment, ran out of the building, comes back. He swears he walks to the same room, but it's a different apartment. Pretty good story. He didn't even bang Mira. But yeah, hotel hallways, keep your guard up. And gnomes, I'm coming for you. Chapter 5, The Black Door. Story is about Andrew, a small town restaurant local. I ate at The Black Door most weeks, and not because of the name. An old acquaintance, Benny Dixon, owned the place. I got comped very often, but that's not why I ate there either. You promised me dinner, Vanessa leaned forward, and her body did all kinds of interesting things as she pressed against the tabletop. If you guessed I patronized the black door because of the food, you guessed wrong. Most dishes were too something. Too greasy, too salty, too fishy. Our table, my regular table, sat alone in the far corner of the dark dining area. Some would say too dark. I'd heard customers complain that they couldn't read the menu, that they couldn't see the food. I'd argue you didn't want to see the food. After dropping their drinks, the waiter leaves something else. He dropped another bag onto the table. Your necessities. The plastic bag contained the surprising weight and even more surprising contents. This was why I returned to the black door time after time. Not that I had a choice. Thank him for me, I said, meaning it perhaps the first time since Benny saved my life. None of that matters at the end. He's doing drug drops at the restaurant. <laughs> You ever done a drug drop? Some of the most liminal shit on earth. Like, you're either leaving a little bit richer or with a 20-year sentence. It really is not the Pineapple Express, a guy that just wants you to come in and smoke up with you. It's paranoid dudes going into each other's apartments, asking, don't look around, take what you need and leave. <laughs> you become a different person on each side of the purchase. Quote, as we stood to leave, Gregory, the server, placed a skeletal hand on my shoulder. He squeezed too hard and whispered, At your earliest convenience, Mr. Dixon would like a word. I met Benny Dixon in college. Really, I should say we met at college. Neither of us attended school, but we were both drawn to university by the cove. I left my job as an apprentice fishmonger on one of dozens from which I'd absconded over the years for similar reasons, and hitchhiked to Delaware, to the University by the Cove, where the stone walkways wed. Bro, is he at University of Delaware? <laughs> Just kidding, this sounds like Rehoboth Beach or something. The waterway which skirted the edge of campus was called Forgotten Cove. The location was famous for two things. One was its relative proximity to university, the second was for being the site of countless missing persons. When I asked questions, trying to find the primary source of the stories, I'd invariably hit a dead end. That is until I met Benny Dixon, another outsider like me, someone who was past the hastily laid camouflage and poorly executed subterfuge, someone who had answers. Summer comes around, the campus clears out, no one's left in town but Andrew and Benny. Quote, The wind blew a rancid strength of rotting fish so concentrated in my eyes that they teared. Footsteps grew louder behind me. My mind screamed to run faster and I did. I ran until I saw a tall building with no doors. In a fit of panic, I jumped headfirst through a hedge. Thorns drew thin lines of blood across my face and arms until I tumbled into a stand of oak and pine. Free from the dreaded stone pathway, my head cleared of the insistent buzz, and the forgotten cove presented itself. 
So Andrew's walking down to the cove, feels like he's being chased on the way there. In a fit of joy, I stood and tore off my shirt, the delicious sea calling to me. Faint blue and red lights sparkled in the crystalline water. I kicked off my shoes and removed my pants. Broken shells bit my feet. Behind me, a voice halted my progress. I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> Vanessa is standing eagerly behind. I need your help with this. Help with what? Are we going to fuck? No. <laughs> that was an actual line. Bro, every guy is an idiot when they have a boner. So, like, are we about to smash Cardi B, or are you about to drug me and take my money? The cove, the sky, the world was barely there. A multitude of desperate shapes and colors took its place. Things with no context. My mind attempted to make sense of what I saw and regurgitated an aneurysm of words. He's picturing his ex pointing a gun at him on the beach. I replied by heaving my guts onto Vanessa. A great rushing flood of chunky black and green ichor poured from me. It tasted like the acidic sea, a meal from the black door. <laughs> Bro, I don't know what to say. You see all these tactical defense schools on Instagram? You heard it here. If you're in a fucking Mexican standoff, vomit on the enemy. <laughs> He just dodged a bullet by puking on his ex. But she disappears, and then he goes and tells Benny Dixon, and he's like, that chick hasn't been on campus for a year. Ton of liminality in this story. Women are always liminal. They expect a transition into a new life. No, seasides, bro. <laughs> Standoffs, too. This is Albert Camus' The Stranger, but we'll stay in this story. Like, fucking, he went to Delaware, bro. Rhode Island, Wyoming, Ohio. We're talking about the most liminal states in the Union. You gotta beware of a time slip out there. I thought, like, I got fucking drunk out of my mind one of the first nights back home after college with my friends. And I fucking got lured away from the bar by a chick. <laughs> bro, motherfuckers are getting attacked out here. Liminal places are real as fuck on earth. So I stopped sounding crazy. I think that's what I learned from this chapter. Places have intelligence. So this thing is like, oh, he, at the Black Door restaurant, he met these people that might not have even been real. I'm not saying that shit. I'm just saying the intention that you bring into a place will be reciprocated. Holy fuck. I read this story about a hunter. He goes out with his buddy and they come across a guy on an ATV. Y'all are on my land. If anyone says something to you, tell them Jebediah said that you're okay. So the men catch a buck, they go home. They return to the same plot of land two years later to try to score another deer. Once again, an ATV pulls up behind them. What are you doing on my land? The men go, Jebediah said it was okay. So they get on the ATV with this guy and they bring him back to his home. They walk into the home and the ATV guy goes, Dad? Do you know who these people are? Jebediah goes, Surely enough, I seen them a couple years ago. These men look mighty young. It's a good concept. Are there places where time moves faster than other? Holy shit. <laughs> and this story was about a college campus. It surely feels like time moves slower there. And to some people, it moves faster. But yeah, this whole concept of time, I could have done a whole fucking chapter on it. It makes me think of that Shyamalan movie. 
uh, it was about a resort. And so this family goes to the beach. And then when they go to the beach, they can't find the exit. They can't find the exit. And then they notice they start getting older. And it comes out later. I'm spoiling it. There was a research facility that knew that this specific beach sped up the process of time. So they would feed people like medicine and see what it did to them on the beach. Really good Shyamalan movie. Bro, time slips. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Kevin Lucia's Liminal Spaces. Definitely a fun addition. Let me know what you guys think. A lot of people value the empirical episodes on the show, but I think these are equally as important. Let me know. Next week on the show, we've got a mystery edition. Harry Schwann on Instagram, patreon.com slash the niche. Check him out for the best bonus content. Bro, we're doing an Einstein book this weekend on the Patreon. Uh. There it is. Let us get a random soundboard effect to end the episode. It's over 9,069. Nick Muniz signing off. See you guys with a brand new story in seven short days. The Knickers. Love you all. Peace.